0: Good morning. Sorry, that was that was not a repeat based off of your unenthusiastic greeting, but because my mic didn't work. That's just very enthusiastic. I appreciate it. Uh, very glad to worship with you this morning, uh, especially this, this Sunday. We, this is Youth Sunday, uh, in, case you, in case you walked in a little late and said, man, that's not Chris up there. Uh, this is our Youth Praise Team, and uh, we also have youth back in the PowerPoint uh, area and the sound, kids, you know, youth in the nursery and the children's ministry. So they're, they're all over uh, participating in, in the worship service, service this morning. Um, if, if you are a parent of a teen, you're like, man, I just want to know more about the youth ministry. Or if you are a parent of a sixth grader and someone's going into the youth, you want to know more. Or if you're like, man, I can come to this church, I have. Is that age, but man, we just haven't been involved yet. I'm more than happy to talk with you at any moment about our youth ministry. I'm proud of the volunteers and the, the youth that we have in our ministry. We also have uh, this little little pamphlet in the foyer. It's in the uh, just as you come in the front doors. If you look to your right, there is a little a door full of brochures, and it just talks some about our youth ministry, uh, what we hope to uh, to build. And the students that, that attend our youth ministry, we have a thing in there called the graduate profile where if a student is with us for four to six years, and these are some of the, the growth and some of the fruit that we want to see by the time they graduate and go to college. Uh, so if you want to know more, that, that's outside. I'm here. You can talk with me. Joey was the one reading. He's one of our volunteers. He'd be more than happy to talk with you about it. And we have – I see other youth, youth volunteers out there as well. If you know them, talk to them. I'm also very glad to do Youth Sunday in in conjunction with Compassion Sunday. I know we we talked about it before the service. In in, in the back, uh, right right back there where that banner is, we have a table uh, filled with different children that need uh, sponsoring and support. Uh, And and today we're just trying to get, I think it's 50 to 100 children around the world supported through our church. Uh, so, So if you haven't done that, there'll be time after the service for you to do that. But the reason I'm so glad we're doing them together is because of the youth that we have here uh, in, in our church and, and even in our state for a large extent, they have a lot of support. They have support through youth of parents at their home. They have support here at the church. They have support at their school. Uh, they, they have many different areas in which they're supported. But many of these children around the world, uh, they are just in what is seemingly a hopeless situation where they might not have a school. They can't afford it. Uh, where where, they're, where they're, they're, the child Dave was talking about earlier today She, she lost her parents uh, so, so it might be that the support that we give them Through compassion It might be the only support that they get in their life It might be the only love that they get in their life So I encourage you after this service uh, Go to the corner and, and, and pick up a packet Fill it out uh, I know what my wife and I do uh, Partly because I, I can be mindless um, about 90% of the time, I, uh, I would forget to send a check-in. So we, we actually have our Compassion children uh, kind of automatically withdrawn from our, from our charge to our credit card. It's an easy way of supporting them where their support is faithful and regular. Uh, so so we, I, I really encourage you to do that. Uh, I'm also glad we're doing Compassion Sunday because this world that we live in is a world of suffering. Uh, it's a world of pain. It's a world of loss. And we've been doing this sermon series on Sunday, mo- Sunday mornings called, Why Jesus? And we've been talking about common object- objections that people have to Christianity, that people have towards the faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, so today we're going to be talking about the, the, the problem of suffering, which I think is quite possibly the most common and the most personal objection that people have to our faith it's common because we can look out in the world and see pain and suffering all around us. Just these past few weeks that we've had the Boston bombing, at the, uh, the Boston Marathon, where people lost lives, where people lost limbs, where people are now traumatized for life uh, as a result of, of man's wickedness. We have events like the, uh, like the explosion in the West where it was not uh, uh, evil intent, but it was just an accident. And the explosion went off, and, and, and you know, more than more than ten people lost their lives, and people lost homes, and and once again, there's that pain and suffering uh, attached to every life that was lost, uh, to every possession that was lost. Uh, so that we we see suffering, and, and even we see natural disasters. A few years back, though, there was an earthquake under the ocean. I'm, I'm sure some of you will remember this, with that caused the tsunami that hit the Pacific Rim. <coughs> Excuse me, uh, which hit the Pacific Rim. And in one natural disaster, and in, in, in the series of waves that battered the coastline, 250,000 people. When I reread that this week, and I tried to think about that number 250,000 lives lost, homes destroyed, dreams dashed. And I started thinking that in the comparison to the city of Pawnee, where we're roughly. 100,000 people strong in this city. And that's that's two and a half times our city. Everything is gone. So it's a very common objection because we see pain and we see suffering all around us. One journalist in seeing uh, the devastation caused by the tsunami said there is no God. And he looked out over the world. He saw the pain. He saw the devastation. He said, Christians are out there saying that God is good and that he's all powerful. But he said whenever he looked at the suffering in the world and looked at that claim that God is all good and all powerful, he said, they cannot be true. He said if God were good and all powerful, then he would be <laughs> a <Amen. That's right. laughs> powerful point of the morning. Right there. <laughs> Done. We're dismissed. <laughs> uh, the uh, <sighs> my heart is still beating. <laughs> so this journalist was saying, he's saying, if God were were good and all powerful, then He would do with the way of the suffering. As it is, he could either be one or the other, all good or all powerful. If he was all good and he was not all powerful to stop the suffering, then he wasn't God. If he was all powerful and he was not good and allowed suffering, then he wasn't a good God. He said either way, the Christian God is not worthy to be worshipped. And he expressed this problem of suffering, which makes this objection the most common of all objections against the Christian faith. It's also the most personal uh, objection towards Christian faith. And it's personal because each and every one of us has suffered in our lives. Uh, I, I know growing up, I, I almost felt like I lived a charmed life. Because, man, I, man, there was no sickness. There was no illness in our lives and our families. Things seemed to go well. Uh, we even lost our grandparents. But, man, they lived a good, long life. And, you know, it's, it's all good. Uh, but that, you know, that changed for my wife and I about a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago my wife was 35 weeks pregnant and uh man we, we were excited the nursery was ready uh we were just, i mean the baby was full term we were just waiting for the day to come and and that morning she woke up and she said it, it, she said she felt strange because normally when she woke up in the mornings it was a result of our of our baby son kicking her away but that morning she felt nothing and so she called the hospital. She did a few things that they recommended. They finally said, come on in, and uh, we'll do a sonogram. And we went into the hospital. Uh, they said, I'm sorry, but we, we can't find a heartbeat. Your baby's died. And so we, we remember that pain. We remember that suffering. Just just a few weeks ago, uh, I got a call from, from my brother that my 9-year-old niece uh, started falling, kind of just out of the normal. They took her in, got it in an MRI. They found a, a cancerous brain tumor on, on her brain stem. Uh, it's a personal objection to the faith because we all have felt pain. We've all felt that those stabs of grief hit us where we say, why God? And I know in a, in a, in a congregation this side, I could go out there and I could have a cup of coffee with each and every one of you and we could have a conversation. And you could tell me about the pain you've either experienced in this life or the pain that you are currently struggling through. And so it is a common objection to the faith, and it is a, a personal objection to the faith. And my hope and prayer this morning is that when you leave here, that you will find comfort in your suffering through the Word of God, that God will be a rock, a shelter to you. That he'll be an anchor to keep you steady throughout the storms that you will face in your life. So before we begin, let let us go to our our good God in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, as we read verses, as we speak the truth that you have written on our behalf. Father, I just pray. Pray, O Lord, that those who are suffering today might find comfort in you. That's what you gave us these words for. So, Father, I pray that you give me the the calmness of spirit and mind, the clarity to speak these words of truth from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to do this morning is I want to do about three different things. I want to begin by giving a, a, a general observation about suffering. And then I want to give us about... Five different biblical truths about suffering, and I want to end with what are we supposed to do when we are in suffering. Those are the three things that I want us to do this morning. And I will say, this is a massive subject. This problem of suffering in the Bible It's a massive subject. and there is, it is impossible for us to cover every aspect of it today. I'll probably leave you, uh, hopefully, wanting more, but. But it's impossible for me to communicate everything in Scripture for you today. So what I'd recommend is that is it, actually it's a, it's a podcast or a video you can watch. A pastor named David Platt has a teaching on his website where it's basically about a four or five hour sermon on, on suffering where he starts in Genesis and he works all the way through Revelation. He talks about 70 different passages that are dealing with suffering and he tries to connect the dots between all of them to give us a comprehensive overview of suffering. Uh, so you can, you can look that up. It's on a secretchurch.org, secretchurch.com, one or the other. Uh, so I, I'd encourage you to look that up at sometime later. Uh, but until then, let, let's go ahead and get started. A common, a common observation to the problem of suffering is this. That is that the problem of suffering is everyone's. Problem. The problem of suffering is everyone's problem. Some people look at the problem of suffering, they say, Man, if there were a God in the world and he was good and he was all powerful, then he would do away with suffering. But since there is still suffering in the world, they conclude that there is no God. And they reject all religions, not just Christianity, but they'll reject all religions with a God. And what they do is they embrace atheism and they say, Since there is pain and suffering in the world, there must not be a God, and I'm going to reject any notion of a God. But at the end end of the day, the problem of suffering is still a problem. Even if you reject God because there is suffering in the world, it doesn't do away with suffering. That suffering still exists. In fact, when you embrace atheism and reject God as a result of suffering, what that does is it brings a permanent sense of hopelessness into your life. Because think about it. In Christianity, there is hope and suffering. And we're going to talk about that hope in just a second. There's hope in suffering. There There is restoration in suffering in Christianity. But if you reject God, if you reject the Christian faith, you embrace atheism, at the end of the day, suffering still exists. But now... But but now for you, there is no good that can come out of it. There is no hope that can come out of it. That all that there is that can end the suffering in life in this world is death, which is the ultimate loss of all. So the problem of suffering is everybody's problem. Regardless of religion or irreligion, suffering has to be dealt with. So since, since that's the case... Let's go ahead and talk about the biblical case, the biblical theology of suffering. What does the Bible teach about suffering? And we have five points here that we want to cover about a biblical case for suffering of what the Bible says about it. The first, and I'm just going to tell you up front, we, we are not in one single passage today because we're dealing with a, a large topic. We're all over the Bible today. So my, my guess is, is, is that you're not going to be good enough at Bible drill to, to keep up. So, uh, yeah, some in the last service were doubtful too. They thought they were like, GA extraordinaire, please. <laughs> but uh, so if you can't keep up, great. Otherwise, keep your pen and your notes handy and write down some of these verses. Um, and, and you can go back and read them later. But I'll just be reading them in, in, their, in, their, in their fullness here. <coughs> But the first point that we have to make about a biblical theology of suffering is that suffering, suffering is a result of the fall. Suffering is a result of the fall. Whenever we read the book of Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and we read the type of world that God created, God created a good and holy and perfect world. There was no pain. There was no suffering There was no loss. There was unity between God's creation and God the creator. It was a good world. However, whenever we turn to Genesis chapter 3, one chapter over, and we see a rebellion taking place, a rebellion that Adam and Eve and the serpent led against a good and holy God. And they rejected God, and they rejected God's goodness. And as a result, all of earth, became cursed. Women had pain in childbirth. Men were no longer satisfied but found joy in the work that they did. There were now natural disasters. The book of Romans chapter 8 talks about how the world, how creation is groaning for the redemption of Christ because the world itself is is bending and breaking as a result of that rebellion in Genesis chapter 3. So when we look at the world and we see suffering, whether that's through accidents, whether that's through through uh, through evil men's conspiring, whether that's through natural disaster, all suffering is a result of the fall. All suffering is a result of sin's existence in the world. And I want to clear up a point right quick. Um, there's this idea out there that, that is false and is harmful, that if you are suffering personally, that is it's directly connected, therefore, to one sin that you've done in your life. That's just not always the case. Sometimes it's true. Like if, if, if you cheat on your taxes and the tax man comes knocking at the door saying, Hey, time to go to jail. That suffering is a result of your sin. However, the loss of a loved one is not a direct correspondence to you cheating on your taxes. Does that make sense? So, so suffering is in the world as a result of the fall. Um, Paul, in the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 12, agrees with this, and he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. If we are to have a biblical understanding and a biblical view of suffering in this world it has to begin here that suffering results it is a result of man's rebellion against god it's a result of the fall secondly the second thing we must know yes suffering is in the world as a result of the fall but we also have to recognize and proclaim that god is sovereign even in our suffering god is sovereign god is in control Even in our suffering. Charles Spurgeon once said, I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. The fall of leaves uh, from a tree is as fully ordained as the tumbling of an avalanche. Big and small, joy and sorrow, God is in control of all things, even death pain and suffering. Consider these verses, how God is sovereign over life and death. Psalms 139, 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Before you were born, God knew your days. Uh, Revelation chapter 1 says that it is Jesus who holds the keys to death and Hades. We have a life, and and God knows when we are dying. And it is God who ordains our death, okay? Not only is God sovereign in life and death, but God is sovereign over disabilities. And guys, I don't want you to miss the importance of this. Because right now, in our country... It's being done, and they're working to do it more. That a baby who is yet unborn will have tests run on it to see whether or not it has a disability. If it has a disability, then the likelihood of that child of being aborted jumps through the roof. That's why we're pushing Hope Pregnancy Center. and Go, be trained, volunteer there, because a great injustice is being done in our country. And one of the things that we have to recognize is that God is sovereign even over disabilities. It says in the book of Exodus, chapter 4, verse 11, Then the Lord said to Moses, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, says the Lord? It is God who is sovereign over disabilities. And who are we? His creation just man to be able to determine who has life or death. That is God's role, not ours. Not only is God sovereign over life and death and disabilities, we also see in the Bible that God is sovereign over evil. When we look at the book of Job, chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, it says this, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. And I know in saying this that God is sovereign even over the bad things that happen in the world, that 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 might rise some anger against you. But I I want to encourage you that when Scripture talks about God being sovereign over evil and over the bad thing that happens in this world, He doesn't do so to make you angry, He He does so for your comfort. He wants to bring you comfort in your life. Um, My wife said just the other day, she said, you know what? I'd rather have a good, sovereign God that I don't understand than a God who is small and is not in control of all things. That's a huge statement. And and I love that I married that woman because I'm like, yes, that'll preach. (laughs) But God is in control over all things. Um, And he tells us this for comfort. I'm reminded... Uh, of matthew chapter 10 verses 28 through 30 31 where jesus is talking about the sparrows that fall to the ground and says you know what not one sparrow falls to the ground that your father in heaven does not know about that he's not concerned about and how much more valuable are you than sparrows when he tells us this that he is sovereign over all things he tells us this for our comfort Thomas Watson no relationship, he's a Puritan. He says this, God would never permit any evil if he could not bring good out of that evil. God can bring good things out of all suffering. We'll get to that a little bit later. Next point, our third point of a biblical view of suffering is that God is with us in our suffering. God is with us in our suffering. I want you to think about this. Whenever... Mary was approached by Gabriel, and they were talking about Jesus being born. Gabriel said, "He is Emmanuel, God with us." What that means is that our eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, sent the Son, God, in flesh to this earth, and He experienced life with us. Jesus knew what it meant to be. To, he knew what it meant to be hungry, to be tired, to be angry, to be frustrated with your siblings. He knew the the sting and the pain and the bite of death because he had people he loved and that he lost. He knew the pain of betrayal. He is God with us. That's who our God is. He is acquainted with our sorrows. He did this all for our sake. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he, God, made us. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were set sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3:18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. I want you to realize that the suffering that Christ went through far outshines and our goodness. It's not a competition you want to win, but his, his suffering far is greater than our suffering. Oftentimes we think of the suffering of Christ, we think of Jesus' suffering on the cross, of the nails tearing his flesh, of, 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 the, of, the, of the flogging, of the crown of thorns, of the thirst, of the betrayal of the cross. And that's what we think of when Jesus' suffering. But I would even say that's not the most suffering that Jesus went through. That the greater suffering that Jesus experienced was that of a loss of relationship with his Father in heaven. If you remember Jesus' words on the cross, Jesus cried out just before he committed his spirit to the Father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what happened at that moment is Jesus, the eternal God, co-equal with the Father and Son, or Father and Spirit, had the sins of the world placed upon him. The guilt and the punishment of those sins placed upon him. That's what Jesus was experiencing at that point. And Jesus, the Son, and God the Father experienced a a, a tearing apart of each other, a broken unity. For all eternity they had been together. Even when Jesus came to the earth, he was in perfect unity with the Father. Except at that moment on the cross when Jesus took our sins. And that's when they experience this unity. That's the 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 pain, the suffering that Jesus went through on our behalf. And it leads us to a point where man, since we know that God suffered with us and He did so for our sake. What else is, is, is God not going to do for us? It says this in Romans 8:32: He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him? graciously give us all things. If Christ and the Father and the Spirit went through that much suffering for our sake, to be God with us, don't you think that the suffering that you have in this world at this moment is for a purpose? And that leads us to our our fourth point, that God is good. And all things work out to His glory and so for our good. Let me say that again. God is good, and all things work out for his glory, and so for our good. All suffering has a point. All suffering has a purpose. And many times people will look at the suffering in this world, and they look at their own personal suffering, and they can't see the point of their suffering. And so they say, it is pointless. There's no use to my suffering. But what we're doing there is we're saying that we can... We're saying that our scope of vision is, is, is eternal, that we can see all aspects and all the, all the consequences of that pain in our life. And what we're doing when we say that is we're putting our place, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. Because only God has that vision to see all of life and all, all scenarios that are happening and all the effects of pain and sorrow. Only God has that role. So when we say that, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. What the Bible teaches us is that all suffering, all pain, has a purpose. It says in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. So what is God doing in the world according to Scripture? What is God doing in the world? God is defeating the curse. He's putting an end to sin and death. What is God doing in the world? God is calling a people to himself, and he is making them holy through their suffering. Did you know the Bible teaches that? That one of the ways that you are made to be in the image of Christ is through suffering. That God brings you to himself through suffering. And not only that, but the word of God and the gospel of God is spread throughout the world. As a result of suffering. Tertullian, uh, an ancient Christian saint, uh, said this. He said that, the, that the, 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 goodness, the the blood of the saints is the water for the church. Basically saying, using a, a gardening metaphor, that the church grows and the church expands as a result of the suffering of the people of God. Your suffering has a point and it has a role in bringing people to God. Paul says in the book of Philippians chapter 1 that we are called not only to believe in Jesus but also to suffer on his account for his sake. He also continues on and says that when we endure in suffering and we persevere through suffering, what God does through that is he says that that, that endurance is a sign to the world of their destruction and a sign to you in the world of your salvation. That's what God is doing in suffering. But not only that, But God is patiently waiting for us to repent. He's waiting for us to come to him, turning from our sin and turning to trust in him what he has done. And God is bringing his kingdom in its fullness, which leads me to my fifth point. Suffering gives us the hope of heaven, which promises restoration of all things that are broken say that again. Suffering gives us the hope of heaven which promises restoration of all that is broken. Romans eight eighteen says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The name Johnny Erickson Tata might be familiar to some of you. Uh, if not, I encourage you to look her up, read a biography but her story is, is, is quite amazing. At the age of 17, she had, she's a, she's a, had a life full of promise. At the age of 17, through an accident, she breaks her neck and, and loses uh, the use of her limbs. becomes a with quadriple- quadriplegia. Uh, and this is, this is what she says in an article. She's quoting Samuel Rutherford. And she said, If God had told me some time ago... That he was about to make me as happy as I could be in this world. And then had told me that he should begin by crippling me in arm or limb. And removing from me all my usual sources of enjoyment. I should have thought the very strange mode of accomplishing his purposes. And yet, how is his wisdom manifest even in this for if you should see a man shut up in a closed room idolizing a set of lamps and rejoicing in their life, and you wish to make him truly happy, you would begin by blowing out all of his lamps and then throwing open the shutters that let in the life of heaven. Johnny, Johnny Erickson taught said that, that suffering hurries our hearts towards heaven and makes us long for a day when Christ shall return and set things right. It makes us look at what happened in Boston and say, come, Lord Jesus, and come quickly. It makes us look at what happened in, in, in this, the 53 million abortions that has happened in our country, and say, come, Lord, come quickly. It makes us look at what happened in the West and see the brokenness of people and the loss of people and say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Quickly. It makes me look at my own personal loss and the cancer in my knees and the loss of my son and say, Lord, come quickly. And I have never longed for heaven as much as I have when I've suffered. Because I know that when Jesus comes back, He's not only going to give me consolation, He's going to bring back a restoration. And that is the promise of the resurrection that our broken bodies in, in, in their state of, of not being whole and not being pure God is going to resurrect them and make them glorified and that is what sets Christianity apart from all of the philosophies and all of their religions because in those philosophies and those religions they say you know what here's some comfort at the end of life but Jesus does more he says here's comfort Here's your life. He brings back what has been lost. So, according to this hope we have, what are we to do in our suffering? Two things. First, we're not to behave as if our pain is not real. There's this theory, there's this idea, there's this practice out there in the Christian church that basically says whenever you're hurting and you're in pain, you act like it's not there. You, you just you just kind of box it up inside of you, bury it down deep. You put on a, a little plastic smile and smile for everybody. You know, oh, life is good, things are fine, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm not hurt, I'm a Christian, I'm believer, you know, it'll all be made right. And we don't really experience the pain. We don't feel the pain. We don't express the pain. But whenever we read the Psalms, whenever we read Scripture, we are told... We can express the feelings that we have. We can express the frustrations that we have about this world. And even God, we can be angry at what has happened, and we can be angry at God. Our God is big enough and strong enough to take that. And he understands it. So we are not to just hide our grief, hide our pain, and hide our sorrow. But at the same time, we're not supposed to stay there. Because in our grief, in our pain, in our loss, in our sorrow, what we are to do as believers is we are to preach and proclaim the truth of God and his word into our own lives. The truth that God is good, the truth that God is sovereign, the truth that he is with us in our suffering, the truth of of hope of heaven and the restoration he is bringing. And what God will do as we preach these truths to ourselves as he begins to pour out his grace in our lives. And the pain we have will still be with us. Michael Horton said that, that death has lost its sting, but its bite still hurts. Death has lost its sting, but its bite still hurts. So, so and when we are preaching these truths to ourselves, it's not as if our pain is going to leave. It'll still be there. But God will give you grace for that day, for that moment, to endure and to believe. And that next morning, after you cry in bed and you wake up the next morning, you know what God will do? He will give you grace that day to make it through that day. Grace upon grace is what our God will give you in your pain and in your sorrow. And for this, we will glory in his name. And for this, we will praise his name until the day that he does return and take us home. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, you are good and holy. Your ways are above our ways and your thoughts are above your thoughts. And we don't fully understand you. But Lord, what we do understand is so sweet and so good that we put our trust in you and we put our faith in you. Father, may you use our suffering for your glory, your good, your kingdom, this, we will give you praise. We praise this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Scripture says in Romans that from him and through him and to him are all things. That to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You are just-